We're playing the video, right? That's a play right there where yeah, here we go. goes on to win this game. That could be a play where yeah. you say, that's, that's right. That's Tegan that's Shaw. That's a play right there where yeah. if Harvard Let's goes on to win look this game, that Tegan could be a Shaw play where you say, out, makes the play. Harvard over that's Dartmouth. That's a play right and there where we go on a Monday. Don't at me. Yeah. That's Tegan Shaw, my wife's daughter, my stepdaughter, of course, genetically influenced by her stepfather, third baseman, the Harvard women win. Now you got to win two or three at Cornell this week, and you advance against Princeton in two weeks to the Ivy League championship. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, look, it's my show. We're going to play some good stuff, and T-Boney made an unbelievable play. Hey, uh, Dylan and Ryan. What Elon Musk have to say this weekend? Let's see. Elon Musk on Friday, he put a tweet out. We, we love that Elon Musk has bought Twitter, right? We love it. So Elon Musk, there it is. The far left hates everyone, themselves included. Now, he's not the biggest fan of the far right either, and I understand that because that was the next tweet. But what I wanted to do was not give context because we have spent the last six years not giving context. So I figured, ah, what the hell? We'll just put this out there as is. We don't need context. We'll just say that that's what Elon Musk said. Welcome. Hope everybody had a fantastic, fantastic weekend. The draft has concluded. Let me guess, your team, your team could not believe that the guy was there. I mean, in Indianapolis, we're jumping up and down, standing on our head and pooping snowballs over the fact that we got some wide receiver from Cincinnati. Yeah. And a tight end. Yeah. That's right. We can't believe he was there. Chris frickin' Ballard, you worked your magic again. I don't believe it. That's your guy, too. That's everybody's guy. But let's talk about what's real in this draft. You want to know how you win in sports? You want to know how you win championships? Now, it, it, you get 15 guys drafted, like the University of Georgia. 15 guys. That's an all-time record. How about this? I mean, even though they didn't win, they still had 14 guys at LSU got their coach fired. Man, how about that SEC talent? 65 guys drafted out of the SEC. Look, when you talk about teams and you talk about conferences and you talk that it means more or whatever you want to do to make fun of slogans that the SEC puts out there, that's fine. You can do that. But the proof is in the pudding. The SEC, SEC just has better players, man. I mean, five defensive players drafted in the first round from Georgia. Obviously, the number one tr pick, Trayvon Walker. But my God, it used to be like, hey, I want guys with heart. I want guys. Well, here's the deal. You want the formula for winning? Get guys that are uber talented and have heart and have competitive spirit, and have drive. That'll win your championships. Old Scrappy, the third-team all-league kid from high school that's going to make your team better. That's great, man. Pump up the GPA. Get us going Rudy-like in practice. But you want to win? Oh, man, oh, man. You better have some dudes. I mean some real dudes, and Georgia has real dudes. Look, here's the deal. When you watch, I'm not saying that I'm some kind of NFL expert, but I do love watching college football. And I watch it every Saturday. And I kind of study it. And I love it. 
I don't like it. I love it. When you watch Georgia play this year, particularly on the defensive side of things, you got to admit, this was a different looking group, right? I mean, everybody looks good, right? Everybody looks fast. and Man, they can run. Hey, did you see that play by that guy? But these dudes here, these guys at UGA, ooga, 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 huh, they were different and they got rewarded. This next point is still baffling to me. We live in an era where kids are being groomed to be quarterbacks at like seven years old. I think it was a week ago today or maybe tomorrow I had Teddy Greenstein on and he's writing a book called Quarterback Dads and actually the book is out. And it talks about all these young kids as quarterbacks that are out here working with trainers, working on speed work, working on footwork, doing all the things at a young age. And then as you get older, even when I say older, I'm talking about freshman, sophomore year in high school, you have now spread offenses, you know, RPOs, you're passing. You know, you're doing all of these things that make you better as a quarterback. And nobody really did that in the past. I mean, I'm not saying no. I shouldn't say nobody. But people didn't really, I don't know, they didn't really do that in the past. It wasn't like you had a trainer when you were 10 years old. It wasn't like you had, I don't know, um, some guy out there that's working with you every day. My neighbor, Tom Peller, lived across the street. And Tom was a pass, punt, and kick finalist. And he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. As dad cut down trees, we had a, I don't know, it's just a forest, I guess. I don't even know what you call it, just woods, we called it. And we had woods. And he, his dad cleared an area where his son could punt and kick and, and Tom pass. He also played basketball and all that kind of stuff. That was the closest thing to a guy working with a quarterback to me. So in this draft, we got one first-round quarterback, no second-round quarterbacks, a couple third-round quarterbacks. It's fascinating to me, really. It really is in an era where, man, oh, man, hey, you got to be a quarterback. Let's go. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to work on this. You got to work on that. You got to get here. You got to get there. You got to specialize. You got to do all these things. And there's not but one quarterback drafted. Think about high school football now as compared to when you played. Everybody plays seven on seven. You got workouts all year round. People throw the ball. You know, back in my day, the guy, well, we're going to run the ball. Three yards in a cloud of dust. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Yeah? All right. Three yards in a cloud of dust. Now everybody's tossing it. it. It is an odd thing to me. It truly is an odd thing to me that we look and see one quarterback taken in the first round. That's it. That's odd to me. And look, Kenny Pickett staying home and staying in Pittsburgh is probably going to be a good thing. I mean, what the heck? They've seen more of him than anybody else. So, hey, if you want him, you got him. But the other dudes, I, I don't know, man. I, I look at it and I say to myself, something's, going, something's wrong here. Now, I know next year, in theory, with Bryce Young and Stroud and Aiden O'Connell and all these guys, maybe it'll be a different year. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But I feel like this was a very odd thing 
given what quarterbacks are doing to get ready not only for college or not only for the NFL, but damn, as our friend Teddy Greenstein pointed out, what they're doing to get ready for freaking high school, grade school. I mean, jeez. No, no. Odd deal that we don't have in this country more than one guy, Kenny Pickett, that is first round worthy in a draft where you got to have a quarterback. Now, here's the deal. Uh, let me read this to you. This came from a friend of mine in the NFL. You're either a franchise quarterback or you aren't. And if you aren't, we're looking for a franchise quarterback and we're not that interested in you. That is fascinating. Is is there anywhere where it says we're going to develop you into a franchise quarterback? No. No, 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 no. No. Not even thought. It's you are or you aren't. Here's the flaw in that. And I want to talk to Jonathan Hutton coming up here a little bit. You know, he is one of the three gurus in Nashville. They took Malik Willis. And I'm going to get into my five sleepers of the draft. Malik Willis is one of them. Malik Willis is going to have the opportunity to do what some quarterbacks have done. And that's developed. Even the guy in Nashville, Ryan Tannehill, hasn't he developed? I mean, he went and got thrown right into the fire at Miami and had some good days, had some bad days, had a terrific day here against the Colts a few years ago. Ryan Tannehill did. But the truth of the matter is, guys that get a chance to develop, I've got to believe I have a better chance to make it in the NFL than guys that aren't considered true franchise quarterbacks yet are thrown right into the fire. Remember the guy Deshaun Kaiser? All of a sudden, he gets thrown into the fire with the Cleveland Browns. I think he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. What the hell happened to Deshaun Kaiser? Mitchell Trubisky thrown right into the fire. Now, those guys are different than Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck considered a franchise quarterback. I think it's fascinating. I think this draft fascinates me from the quarterback position more than any because you don't have an automatic. Hell, Tim Tebow got thrown in, did pretty good, but people got tired of the Christian stuff, so he wasn't going to get able to be able to re-sign. But the truth of the matter is, we'll see. I think Malik Willis is going to have a pretty good career. I don't know about the other guy, Ritter, but I think Malik Willis, the more I watch tape on Malik Willis, the more I thought, wait a second here. I'm not saying he's for everyone. I'm not saying he's the second coming of whoever you want him to be the second coming, Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, I don't know. But I do know this, he looks pretty good. Um, Celtics and the Bucks. Now, I was in Boston yesterday, as you saw the great catch by my stepdaughter. If you look closely at that video, you can see my wife and I sitting in the front row. Well, in Boston, huge, as always, huge Celtics presence. I don't mean kind of a Celtics presence. I mean a huge, I mean, dude, there were shirts from like 1967. I don't know. Dudes looked like they had pulled these jackets out before. They were starter, pre-starter jackets, if you know what I'm talking about. And next thing you know, the Celtics, let's go. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Guess what? Hey, don't look now, but Middleton's hurt. We're rocking and rolling. Let's do this. Celtics got their whipped. Celtics got 
punched in the face. And that's not my term. That's the Celtics term. Hey, and remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Remember this move. Um, Celtics don't have Chris Middleton. That's right. They don't have Chris Middleton still. This game was all right close, but then it was really never close. And I got to tell you, and I'm going to get into this in a little bit, that man right there, the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's the best player in the world. Say whatever you'd like. Give me whoever you want to give me. I don't care. Oh, man, Kevin Durant, great. Yes, not as good as Giannis. Oh, man, you don't know basketball. LeBron's still the greatest. Right, yes, not as good as Giannis. Oh, and I'm not even talking about the triple-double. I'm not. I, I'm not. And I'm going to get into this a little bit, and I ain't mad about it. But that man right there, holy cow. I, I don't ever say anybody's unstoppable because you ought to be able to stop somebody. I mean, he's a pros for crying out loud. But when that dude decides he's going to go to the rim, you better stop him, block him out, block him out with three guys, maybe four, because you got to stop him again from going to the backboard and getting his own. He's incredible. Look, he had a triple-double last night. I mean, tw- was it was at 24, uh, 13, and 12 assists. He does whatever he wants to do on the court. The way to play him is to play off him and hope he misses. I get it. I do. And whether you like the NBA or not, I'm just telling you, that guy right there is worth the price of admission. I used to say the only guy I really wanted to pay to watch was uh, Rajon Rondo. I thought Rajon Rondo, and I still think Rajon Rondo, has a Ph.D. in basketball. He's a brilliant basketball player. I mean, the way he plays basketball is just fun. But watching this guy dominate and not be big old goof like Shaq or not be over-dribble point guard like Chris Paul, uh-uh. That's good stuff right there. That's big-time stuff, and he's the best in the world. And the Celtics are right. They got punched in the mouth. It was a physical game. And Drew Holiday played great. Drew Holiday is one of the best guys in sports. He played fantastic. What he ended up with, 25 and 9. But the Celtics just got their mm-mm whipped. And I don't know. I think pros can still get overconfident. I think pros can still think too much of themselves. I think so. But man, regardless... They got, bam, punched right in the damn mouth. And, oh, by the way, stop shooting all those threes, Celtics. They shot 50 threes. What are you doing? 50. I mean, at least try to play basketball. I mean, I'm watching uh, the Greek freak Duncan going to the rim, and I'm watching these guys jack up threes. And this is an old man bald fat guy either. This is like, you know, you get too reliant on three sometimes. I mean, and if you're the Celtics, you don't need it. Mid-range doesn't hurt you. And you got some pretty daggone good mid-range players, guys going to the rim. You got to figure that out. Mark my words. They won't shoot 53s unless I guess they're getting whooped again, and then maybe they'll shoot 53s. I don't know. But you don't need it. And then the other game, I got to tell you, this was a historically bad beat. Let me set a scenario for you. You ready? Great game at Memphis, Golden State, up one. Arguably the best shooter in the world is at the free throw line 
two shots. It's a two-point spread. You say, all right, I get it. Playoff nerves, maybe you miss one. Now, let me back up. Clay Thompson, the here-to-mentioned four, however you say that, greatest shooter in the world, 85% career free throw shooter, has played and won NBA championships. So I'm checking my bag at Logan. I got the game on. The lovely Lee Ross Dockage is a tad disgusted with me because, well, she's got to do all the work again. She's got to get the bag tags. I got, I, I, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know how you go. You know how you like, I, I got, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm getting a bag tag. I put it on wrong. I drop stuff. And then it happens. He misses one. I'm like, all right, make the second. We'll get a push. Misses the second. After a bunch of crap, whatever, jump ball, people are arguing, whatever. Okay, fine. But the truth of the matter is, That's a bad beat. It's a good win, really good win for Golden State. But don't we always say good teams win, great teams cover? I know I've heard that. I know I've heard that on this show. Good teams win, great teams cover. Let's go. If they were great, they being the Warriors, they would cover. They didn't. And I swear to God. 99.9999999999999% 99.9999999999999% of the time, I would put Clay Thompson on the line in that exact situation, and I think we would win. I do. But let's get to the game. All right. I don't know. I want to make sure here. We don't have the clip of Draymond Green getting thrown out. But Draymond Green gets thrown out. Draymond Green gets thrown out because, well, frankly, like any parent that has two kids, the one kid's an angel, the other kid gives you a hard time. Every time you turn around, the kid is in some kind of difficulty. You don't treat them all the same. Maybe as a referee, you're supposed to treat everybody the same. I don't know. But I don't treat everybody. I don't treat both of my kids the same. My daughter's the apple of my eye. Oh, she can do no wrong. My son, come here. (laughs) But Draymond Green, I think over the course of time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Draymond Green has lost any kind of equity with referees. I think it's gone. I think he's kind of the Dennis Rodman of our current NBA. It's like, hey, dude, look, every time we do something You're a pain in my backside. Every time we turn around, you're causing me problems. Every time. And I've had enough. You pulled a jersey down. We went and looked at it. You you tried to help him, but we all know that's fake. You're gone. And Draymond, God bless him, Draymond makes a scene, and then he's gone. Now, to the Warriors' credit, they said we... You know, we gathered together. We tightened it up. And they did, and that's why they're so good. And then I don't know if you saw the end of it. While we were watching the worst beat of all time, we also saw pretty good defense by Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, which isn't surprising. I mean, I think they're both vastly underrated at the end of the game, whether it's offense, defense, passing the ball, running the floor. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Those two guys are great. Those two guys win 
for you, whatever they've got to do to win. But Green's losing his mind. Uh, we're losing bets. But you know what? As we move forward here, guess what? The Warriors got it done. And the Grizzlies, now look, the Grizzlies got to get one at home coming up this week. John Morant and all that dancing, that's great. You know, who's lo- you know who loves that? The Warriors. It's like, I don't know if you've seen Winning Time, the Lakers, the thing on ES, or excuse me, on HBO, where Julius Irving in the first matchup kind of butters up Irvin Magic Johnson and then slits his throat in the first game. Kind of what Bill Russell used to do to Will Chamberlain, take him out to dinner before the game and then kill him. I feel like that's what happened yesterday. I feel like that's what Green and the uh, Warriors were doing to John Moran. I feel like they were buttering him up like, hey, we're good. Let's dance. Let's do all this stuff. Done. D-U-N. Done. That's how I feel. Doesn't mean I'm right, but that's the way I look at it. I think it's, I think it's fairly accurate. All right. Let's get a little political. You ready? Let's get a little political. Your guy, our guy, the world's guy, Joe Biden, at the Correspondents' Dinner, which is basically a roast of the President of the United States. Every little slap gets up there and tries to be funny. There's a guy named Trevor Noah. I watched Trevor Noah one time on his show. I think he took over for Jon Stewart. Hey, look, I'm old. What do you want me to do? I don't, you know, Trevor Noah, I'm sure, is funny, and I'm sure every smug little guy on on the uh, far left goes, oh, he's the funniest guy ever. He's the greatest guy ever. That's fine. That's good. Okay. So Trevor Noah, can we play it? Let's play Trevor Noah's shot at all of us. I think ever since you've come into office, things are really looking up. You know, gas is up, rent is up, food is up, (laughs) everything. No, it really has been a tough first year for you, Mr. President. I have a hard time because... um, I understand the dinner. I understand how you go. It's it's humor. It's, it's I don't know, sat, whatever. It's not satire, but it's it's humor. All right, you're making fun of the guy right there. But it is a little distasteful. I'm not saying it's the end of the world distasteful, but it is a taste distasteful when you got the president of the United States sitting there very smugly, and I guess he took the good meds this time because it seemed like, at least in that clip, he he knew where he was. Um, It seemed like he was being a little too smug for me. I don't know. A little too right there. Like, yeah, (laughs) we got him. I don't know. I, if it were me and I was the president, I'm not sure how I would act. But I do know this. I don't think I would have acted. He acted as a good sport. Let's put it that way. He did. In his defense, the man acted as a good sport. But you could also, and obviously people on the right, painted it as he was being insensitive to the 8.5 rate of inflation to $5 a gallon 
of gas, a miserable economy. Basically, every policy that the man has had has been nonsense. And as President Obama famously said, and it's certainly come true, don't underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to F it up. I don't know. I'm not that mad about it. People are really mad about it. But obviously it caught me or I wouldn't have shown it on our great show here. I'd be curious. I'd be curious how you feel about it. I'd love for you to hit me up on Twitter. Uh, Are the people on the right who are going to say, eh, it's horrible. Eh, I don't like it. Eh, get him out of here. He's making fun of us. All right. Are the people on the left going to say, nah, it's just a joke. I, you know, I'm with you on both. I really am. I kind of go both because I hate the fact, I absolutely hate the fact that comedians can't be funny anymore without the far left losing their mind, going crazy. I, I hate the fact that I would become somebody that took something that was in a joking manner and lost my mind over it. However, I'm a big reader of eyes, and 90% of the time when I see Joe Biden's eyes, I see a blank stare, and so do you. And, you know, frankly, I don't know why uh, his wife, I get power corrupts. I understand we got to hold on to power. You know, the Clintons, the Bushes, here we got the Bidens. They got to hang on to power like grim death no matter what happens. We got to have power, man. We got to keep the power. The Romneys. We got to be a power family no matter what. And they parade this guy out there and clearly he doesn't know what the hell he's doing half the time. Or at least he's fighting like hell through whatever it is that's got him. And it's unfortunate that something's got him, but he's fighting through. This looked to me like he was very, very aware And nobody wants to see high gas prices. I'm sure he doesn't want to see inflation, but he's in bed with so many different groups and he's such a politician that he absolutely can't help it. I mean, listen to the man talk. All the dude talks is like the politician that you grew up with. American families and blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. I throw it out to you more than I I make a judgment on things. You know I will make judgments on everything, but I... Just a reaction to a joke or a smug politician that doesn't understand the room or doesn't understand his constituents. You know what I mean? That's kind of what it comes down to. I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not sure why, but obviously I wanted to publicize it or it wouldn't have been in on the show. You know what I'm saying? I hate to be wishy-washy. The number one thing I can't be on this show is wishy-washy, and I'm being wishy-washy here. So screw it. Hey, Biden, don't be a jackass. Don't be laughing at our problems. Have some sense. How about that? Now that I've talked myself into it, have some sense. Have some sense in a moment. Have some empathy for the majority, not because some clown made a joke on, uh, at a dinner. Man, I'm all over the ice on this one, aren't I? Feel free to rip me. In fact, I'm going to go to the YouTube page right now. I'll take a ripping if you'd like. Because frankly, I got to be better than this. But I just, I have a hard time getting angry about jokes. I know we're all supposed to get angry about jokes. I know we are. I know. Believe me. I know. Uh, Let's see. DD wants to focus on sports show on politics. Yeah, I don't know about that one. 
Uh, I'd date date Trump's daughter. Okay. This is not only a sports show. Okay. Uh, Yeah. DD canceling jokes. I don't think I'm canceling jokes. I'm, I'm not canceling anything. I'm asking you a question. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Dan, who needs a correspondence dinner? That's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not canceling nothing. So don't put words in my mouth. I'm just asking a question. And the question is, you know, just a joke. DD, you racist. Oh, I am? Okay. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Sure I am. (laughs) Yeah. Biden can't make the jokes. We're not supposed to get angry over jokes. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm not angry. Uh, Yeah. You love Putin. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We'll get away from the YouTube chat. It's El Presidente needs to step in and smack this thing around. Jonathan Hutton's going to join us. I'll kick 360. Let's get back to talking some football. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. All right, let's talk with the man. I'll kick 360. Jonathan Hutton joins us. You know him, you love him, you watch him, and you should. I do every day driving home. I listen. Um, let a Nashville, the epicenter of this draft, at least the first night, A.J. Brown yeah. gone. You know what Colts fans did? Colts fans went, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Coach didn't have a first-round pick, but we feel like we won the first round. What happened here? I was stunned, Dan. Um, I, I think Paul and Chad agree with me on this. I know Clay does, too. Um, I, I didn't see this coming because everyone that speaks on behalf of the organization loved A.J. Brown. Uh, publicly, privately. like To me, he embodies the culture of what Vrabel and Robinson have been building in Nashville over the last four plus years. And um, if, if you go back just, you know, a month or so ago, you've got Vrabel on Rich Eisen saying that as long as he's the coach, AJ's not getting traded. I don't think John Robinson wanted to trade him either. And even at the press conference, after they made the trade that night um, and after they traded out of 26 and moved back with a couple of picks in the second round, they had a presser to kind of recap the night. And I think he hit them then or Robinson for sure. That he's like, oh my God, what did I just do? Now, I, I think there are reasons for why they did it, and we can get into that, but I don't think that this was something that they ever foresaw, you know, two weeks ago. I, I believed them when they said that they didn't plan on trading him or didn't foresee that being a case uh, that, that would play out. Um, but this shows that when you have a, a small bit of leverage, and if you're a non-quarterback, you you use it and you get paid. If I was asked last night on um, local TV here, uh, I do News Channel 5 here in town every Sunday night, and they asked me who is to blame for this? Uh, who's at fault was the question. I'm like, look, A.J. Brown is responsible, but no one is at fault because this is the business and the, the, the off-season game of the NFL. And it's all about timing. A.J.'s timing – timed out well for him and really bad for Tennessee because of Ryan Tannehill's contract and other things that they have this year that they really can't get out of. Was this a money deal? You mentioned timing. Is, is that because of the, the situation with Brown's contract? Yeah, well, uh, so, so Brown had a year left, and they could have franchise tagged him. But if you look around the league, 
I mean, some of the some of the money that receivers are getting now, we just haven't seen uh, to this depth. We've seen the top guys get paid, but not like the top twenty. And and here's AJ getting around four million this year, and it's not people. I think many times we try to compare players to players, and, and that's fair. Um, I think you have to look at the value of the player to the team. Uh, A.J. Brown is not Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams, but we all know his worth to the Tennessee Titans. That, that's the important part here. There's the leverage. And then the, the second part of the leverage happens whenever another team gets involved and they're willing to pony up and repeat back to me, to the, to the, uh, the agent, everything that they want to hear. Um, the, the money issue, Dan, came with Brian Tannehill's contract. The, the Titans could have made room for this. Um, there's always creative ways to kick money down the road, kick contracts down the road, the can, so to speak. They didn't want to do that with Ryan Tannehill's contract, which right now is set to expire after the 2023 season. And they can get out of that a year from now and have some financial benefits on the salary cap right now. If they were to cut him or trade him, they don't get that much relief. It, it counts well over 25 million against the cap this year if they were to move him and they just don't have any space as it is. Um, I don't think they wanted to kick the can down the road with Derrick Henry's contract either. Um, so uh, all of that being said, it was, it was an interesting play because they had the chance to go and, and draft Traylon Burks who they're not trying to compare AJ Brown to, but I'm, I'm here to tell them he will be compared to AJ Brown uh, based on what AJ did for this team and what he's going to do in Philadelphia. And Burks may be a, a really great player, but it's very difficult to come in and do that in, in, in year number one. A.J. did it in 2019, and unfortunately, that's the way Trey Burks will be judged. It will be based on 1,000-yard seasons and, and clutch catches because that's what A.J. brought the first two seasons of his career. Is this I – don't, I don't want to say a rebuild. Is this a reboot, number one? And, and why – is Tannehill's contract what stood in the way from them just having Brown play this year and then franchise him? Why, why not just do that? Well, I think they realized that they weren't going to be able to just pay A.J. Brown this year. Um, you know, the, I, I think the let, – let's, let's start with A.J. There were some who said, well, the Titans can just call his bluff and he'll show up and play and then next year they'll, they'll franchise tag him and then extend the contract. That very well may be the case, but I think there was um, there, there was a fear that if you don't get something for him now as a replacement, he can show up to the mandatory work, not get fined forty grand per day that he's going to miss on the mandatory work, and then just say his knees sore, um, and you know, or he's got a ham- his hamstrings feeling tight because he missed some time last year, and pull a Julio Jones and just not practice, and that's not helping your team either. Um, I, the Tannehill contract absolutely played a factor. I'll say that the, the, the contracts coming up for Jeffrey Simmons and other players that will end up getting extensions, I'm sure played a factor as well. I'm sure the Harold Landry deal that they did this off season, uh, right before the start of free agency played a factor in all of this. All that being said, they were, they were hamstrung with the, the salary cap because of the deal that they gave Ryan Tannehill whenever they brought in Julio Jones. They extended him a bit. It made it more difficult to, to part ways with him this offseason. And look, I, 
it, it was a it was a tough choice because again, I, I think AJ Brown is one of the four to six players, depending on how harsh you want to grade these guys, four to six players that are the core group of what make the Titans the Tennessee Titans. And it was that brand of football. And the Eagles got a great wide receiver from that mentality standpoint. Again, he's not on the upper thread of all of these solid receivers that we would draft in fantasy football, but he's right there in that second tier, and he's only 24 years old. So you have to grade that based on where you think he's going to be. I wouldn't have parted ways with him. But at the same time, they're looking more of a, like you're saying, more of a, a future play and getting a guy that's very com- comparable to what AJ did in Trey Burks in a much cheaper version. Some, you know, we saw that from, from Kansas City. We've seen that from uh, the Packers, where they have traded off their wide receivers. The difference there is they've got franchise quarterbacks in place that they, they truly buy into and believe that are going to elevate the play of everyone else around them. Tannehill's not that guy. He, he's not in. He's not in the same conversation as Aaron Rodgers or, or Patrick Mahomes. Few are, but what we've seen is the few. The few that are trade away those top tier wideouts, and then the have-nots actually pay their wide receivers or trade for wide receivers. The Titans did neither. They 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 decided to trade up and draft a rookie wide receiver, and we'll see if it plays off long long term. They they're they're building for the future, but they have a very good core right now, Dan to where they feel like they can still win. Well, at what level? Because people forget the Titans were the number one seed in the AFC last year. So, you know, I mean, is this – I'm not saying it's a rebuild. I don't – but is is this a – well, let me back up. Is this a smart play because you do think you can win at the same level, but you are building for the future, including a quarterback with drafting Willis? Yeah, the the Willis the Willis pick is very intriguing uh, because it it adds to the conversation you're you're describing. Is it's more about future than the here and now. And it, I look at their roster as a short term roster going into the draft, and they had a more of a long term view to a short term roster than what I expected they would, um, because the last two or three years in Nashville has been about the window of opportunity that's open. And I think they're trying to extend that window with a a quarterback in place behind Tannehill that they can groom, that they can see if he's eventually going to be the guy. But keep in mind, he's a third-round pick. So who knows that the entire league voted on these quarterbacks, and they just didn't like these quarterbacks. This league hated this group of quarterbacks. Normally, they're scrambling to make a bad decision at quarterback, and instead – Everybody's being praised across the league for waiting and waiting and waiting for these guys to come off the board and, and being patient with it. The Titans felt like they couldn't pass on Willis in their in the third round, and and we'll see where they are. I, I don't think he, I don't think he pushes Tannehill for a starting job in training camp by any means. It's not that situation. Uh, but what it does is it starts the clock for the next the next chapter of the the Robinson Vrabel era. Now, they're going to downplay this a lot. But it is now uh, there there is actually quarterback competition um no matter what grade you want to give it. There's quarterback competition in Nashville for the first time since Tannehill's been the starter. Uh, he's had no threat of the guy behind him. And and now you look at Malik Willis who many mocked in the first round and say 
well, if he truly does just need one one year to to sit behind and, and see what happens and, and a team that will be patient with him, he's in a really good spot in Nashville for, uh, the, for the Titans to start building their offense with Malik Willis in mind, if in fact that's where they want to go. But w- with the third-round pick, it gives them options. They're not stuck with the first-round guy with all these questions the same way that you know Green Bay would have been or is with Jordan Love. It's a much different spot because the, the value of the pick is far less than using this on a first-round guy. You know, um, is Tannehill in the position now where uh, his he's now defined? He, you know, he came to Nashville. Here's the way I look at it, Jonathan. He comes to Nashville and basically resurrects his career, and yeah. everything's on the uptick, and everything, you know, goes well. But now I look at it and I say, and this is making it too simplistic, I understand. Yeah, I don't really care what you do in the regular season. Ryan Tannehill has defined what he does in playoff games now. Is that the kind of pressure that Tannehill has? Yes, but it's fair. I mean, that's that's the business of quarterback in the NFL, um, and that's actually a compliment to him. That's a compliment to where he's right. he's ascended to. That It's a compliment to the Tennessee Titans – whenever the fan base and the media here say they're going to be judged in January, screw the regular season. They're judged in January. There have been seasons after seasons where we're trying to judge them in November on whether or not they're going to be in playoff contention. You know, like it's uh, it's a much different book that we're reading uh, here. And, and that's, that's great. That, that shows that they're on the right path. Um, you know, I, I said, um, this is what, three years ago, whenever they went on the AFC championship run, they were a game away from the Super Bowl. And they lost to to Kansas City. People felt like they were playing with house money there, and and to some extent they were. But it's very difficult to go on the run that they did and just leave Kansas City thinking, "Ah, we'll be back next year. Ah, we'll, you know, th- there will be more opportunities." Well, they got back to the playoffs the following year and bowed out quickly to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. That was a day when the Ravens defense stopped Derrick Henry. And Ryan Tannehill was three for six passing in the fourth quarter. When it was time to play big, he played small. Fast forward another year. Uh, and by the way, this is a, the, 2020 was the year where they set offensive records as a franchise, throwing the football. A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, Johnny Smith, and then they played small in the postseason offensively. Fast forward to this past, this past year where they faced Cincinnati, and it's 1916. And they have everybody back healthy. Derrick Henry's coming off the injury. He's back. There's been this great build to get where they were. And they accomplished so much with Henry out of the lineup, uh, with Tannehill and the, the, the wide receivers not performing all that well, not explosive whatsoever. The defense carried them. And then they're back offensively at as healthy as they've been in months and they lay an egg again. And, and Tannehill opens the game by throwing a, a, an interception ends up throwing three in the game, throws in a triple coverage as the game is on the line and throws a pick. He was horrible. Uh, and, the, and the guys talked one time since then. It was right after the game. Since then, he's been a mute, and uh, he's posting photos of him on a boat deep sea fishing. So, I mean, it, it's it's fair to analyze everything that these guys do based on the moments. And, and right now, the moments have not been – kind to, to Ryan Tannehill in the postseason. That's how we're going to judge him because this is now the AFC. Look around. This is the AFC. And this is this is where the Titans are now competing. That's a compliment to them. 
But I think they know that they, they missed out on a real opportunity last year uh, to weather the storm that they did, to be the number one seed when they had no business being in that realm based on their roster and how banged up it was. And then to get to the playoffs and bow out to Cincinnati on a day where they set a franchise record for sacks in the postseason and an NFL record, they tied it. Not not good. And I think they realize that. Is Nashville the kind of football town, which 99.99, maybe 100% are, that if things – first interception by Ryan Tannehill, even though he's only a third-round pick, people be wanting to see Willis? Um. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they – everybody was out on Ryan Tannehill right after the game. The week after the game, when I say everybody, for the first time in maybe the history of the team, every local media member that I was following agreed that he's not the guy that's going to win a Super Bowl for this franchise. The fan base agrees with them, too. Um, privately, publicly, who knows what the Titans are thinking. But they're, they're telling us a lot by what they've done in this draft. Um, no matter if it's a third-round quarterback, second-round, first-round, they drafted who many consider to be the top quarterback in the entire draft based on traits. So every throw, every interaction, every read – Anything that Malik Willis does is going to be overanalyzed because they now have some, we all have something to point to and say there there is something here that can be better than Ryan Tannehill. They've had Logan Woodside here that they've tried to prop up at some you know backup option that they're, they're perfectly fine with. When everyone knew that if if something happened with Tannehill, they were going to go out and bring someone else in. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case now and. When you draft a QB that – and look, it's same thing in Indianapolis, um, in, in the heartland of America, as I'll call it, and really football fans in general, fans keep up with this stuff now. You know, there's a reason why the ratings on Saturday for the NFL draft are what they are um, because everybody can have a say and an opinion on these guys. And for the most part, you're familiar somewhat with the position grouping. Every, Malik Willis transfers from Auburn to Liberty, and – Every, every average football fan knew Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback, based on the buildup for the NFL draft. So there, there's hype behind the position now. And for the first time in a long time, the Titans have drafted a guy that uh, isn't immediately going to be their starter, like Mariota. Uh, or uh, they, they've drafted a guy that isn't like a sixth or seventh round pick that you know they're going to throw in there as a starter whenever someone gets hurt, like Zach Mittenberger was. Point being... Yeah, this is a town that's going to be clamoring for someone else if Ryan Tannehill plays like he has in the postseason. All right, you like my boys in Indianapolis' draft. What do you think of the AFC yeah. South? I do like I do like their draft. The AFC South as a whole is still about the Titans and Colts. Um, AJ's impact over the last three years against Indianapolis. You said the Colts fans were elated whenever AJ was shipped out of there. Um, Houston has... <laughs> Houston has a long climb out of their hole, and they they still have ownership and leadership that, to me, has a lot to prove uh, that they can elevate beyond what they've done. Plus, I mean, if we're being honest, they're looking for another head coach soon. You know, they, they settled on Lovey Smith. Doesn't seem to be the guy they wanted, um, but Lovey Smith's their coach, and they're they're off to you know more things with Mills instead of being in the quarterback market. Um, AFC South plays the AFC West this year, Dan. 
Um, that's their common conference opponent. They're going to beat the hell out of each other. And then there's the AFC North, who's going to be fun to follow. Let's see. Lamar Jackson's back healthy. The Browns, completely new look with Deshaun Watson. You have the defending AFC champions with Joe Burrow behind an improved offensive line. Then the AFC East is wide open. The Patriots will be there. They always are. The Dolphins stay in games. And now they have the fastest wide receiver tandem with Hill and Waddle. And I see the Jets as a team that will surprise some people. I'm not saying they make the playoffs, but I think they're much improved. Um, and I like what Joe Douglas has done through the recent drafts. But look, I, I think I think the Colts have improved their overall they're overall 53 and the Titans have brought in some pieces that they feel like will, will be able to jump in and immediately contribute. But, you know, for not having a first round pick, I thought Indy did a, a lot of good for Matt Ryan and, and the overall offense, putting up some points. I did too. As you watched the draft, did anybody win the draft other than university of Georgia and the sec? <laughs> well, the, you know, the, the um, people are saying, well, the, you know, Georgia lost the draft because they lost so many good players. My, my, my thing is I, yeah, I, I'm yeah. always fascinated with, uh, with the way that the SEC just reloads. You know, they, they had last year, the conference set a record for the most players drafted from a conference with 65 players. And this year they tied that record with 65 players drafted. Yeah. Um, it, it's nuts. <laughs> So I, I have no doubt that Georgia will continue to be Georgia. Um, I mentioned the Jets. I, I, I think it's crazy to say that they surprised us because you're supposed to do well when you have two top ten picks. But this look this looks like a, an organization that's headed in the right direction with Joe Douglas. I, I love Sauce Gardner paired with Garrett Wilson in the top ten. Um, they trade back into the first round and get Jermaine Johnson, who fell to 26, who's the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Speaking of Georgia – he doesn't count for Georgia. He transferred from Georgia to Florida State. Um, and then they drafted Brees Hall at running back. I, I thought they came away with some solid selections that just made sense. The Chiefs, they are a great example and a model of how to win and then continue to win and build around your franchise quarterback. The rich get richer. Sky Moore is going to be a star in Kansas City. He can fly. Um, so for everyone hating them, trading away Tyreek Hill, Sky Moore will have them have them thinking that they got the better end of that deal, I believe, long term. And then first round, Trent McDuffie, George Karlaftis, they make the defense better and much more productive and younger. Um, I, I think Kansas City is one that I would point to. The the everyone's pointing to the Ravens. I, I tend to agree. The Ravens always draft well. They always draft the best player, it seems like, that fits them, not necessarily need. I I don't know if if Baltimore in recent years has ever drafted solely on need because I had them pegged for for uh, Jordan Davis. The Eagles jumped up and draft Jordan Davis, and they end up with Kyle Hamilton in the first round, who many consider to be the, the best overall player in the entire draft, football player in the entire draft. Um, David Ajabo falls to them because of injury. They draft him. They don't get um, they don't get the defensive tackle, Davis. So they go and draft Travis Jones in round three. Uh, they they have plenty of work to do at wide receiver. They are stacked at tight end, which is where Lamar Jackson throws the football really well. So I, I, I would mention those three to start. Jets, Chiefs, Ravens as some teams that I thought came away with some classes that made sense. I don't know. 
I don't get into the whole let's grade them A through F because who the hell knows, right? But uh, if you see a class, you're like, oh, this made sense. I, I think the Ravens did some things that you just you just typically say that's that's what they do. They make the right choice. Honest to God, I, I, I'm with you on that. Like I, They just seem to do it right no matter – you yeah. put whoever they draft into their uniform and next thing you know, they are really good, <laughs> the player, and the team is really good. Hey, I do want to go to one thing in the AFC. Um, no Roethlisberger. I've seen Kenny Pickett. I like Kenny Pickett. I think he's fine, but – I don't know if this is a franchise guy. I mean, is it automatic that Kenny Pickett, because he's a 20th pick, goes in there and starts? Yeah, I mean, I think they – I don't know if it's automatic, but it's – I mean, Mike Tomlin said behind the podium and said, yeah, Kenny Pickett could come in here, and we believe he's competing for the starting job with Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, that that to me told me that they they view him as the guy. Now, now Trubisky – uh, he he set out that one year, and he was the hottest free agent quarterback. If you really sit back and look at things and analyze where things went, and he lands in Pittsburgh, um, they they have Pickett fall to them. Pickett's their guy, and and Colbert in his final draft sets them up at general manager the same way Ozzie Newsom set up the the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson. Uh, the difference is they're not going to have to change their style of offense all that much for Kenny Pickett. And I think that's why he can come in and start and, and and blow some people away there. And they know him really well. I mean, he entered through the same parking lot door as as the as the Steelers right. did for their team facility. So I, I I I don't know if it's immediate, Dan, but it's soon. It's really soon because it's not like I, I anyone would bet that Trubisky wins that job and runs away with it. You know, I am interested in Trubisky because I we, I was just talking before you came on. Like, you know, we all – I had an NFL guy say, look, you're either a franchise quarterback or you aren't. And I thought about that, and I'm like, well, there's nowhere <laughs> yeah. in that is where you can develop into one. You guys got a guy that developed. I mean, I thought Tannehill had a great game here with Miami uh, against the Colts, but he was – his career was Trubisky-like, right? I mean, yeah. we do have an opportunity here for a couple guys to develop. Yeah, I agree. Look, um, the Steelers, they're going to rebuild their offensive line. They have a new defensive coordinator now. Um, so th- they're they're not rebuilding, but I, I, retooling may be a stretch too. Um, they, they've got, they're right there on the fringe of just bouncing right back or taking a step back based on the way this picket selection goes. I lean more towards bouncing right back because they're going to be a team that's based on the run game and based on defense. And that is very beneficial for a young quarterback. That's also beneficial for Trubisky, right? I mean, that if we're comparing him to Tannehill, that's where Tannehill really benefited um, is they, they paired him with, number one, they paired him with an, an offensive coordinator who got the most out of him with Arthur Smith. They were patient with him where they had their guy, their guy in Marcus Mariota, and knew it was a matter of time before they played the backup in in Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill was willing to come in and play the backup role, never truly talked about starting until it was time. And then whenever he got his opportunity, was light years better within this offense in the framework than Marcus Mariota was. He was was clutch. He made some big-time throws on play action. 
that was the same year they made the run to the to the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. So um, Trubisky, a year off, I think will help him. It's a year away from Chicago, and it's he's in the right organization that will be patient with him. If if they get some other things clicking, he can play well. Um, they they're they'll continue to invest in wide receiver, but it's it's about the run game. It's about Najee Harris and the offensive line. And if they're able to run the football at a better clip than what they were a year ago, any quarterback right now should be okay to, to weather some storms because they're always going to be defense. And we, we know they're going to run the football of Harris, who is a star. I'm fascinated by it. I, I, I don't know. I, Trubisky got the Bears to the playoffs. He's only been there like two times in 13 years. So, And I grew up a Bears <laughs> fan. All right, what we got on the show today, big boy? What we got on Man, 360? We, we, we are recapping the NFL draft. Uh, we, we jump right in there with the the trades over the the, the weekend. Uh, the wide receiver position has never been valued more, both in free agency, in, in trades, in draft picks. Um, th- that's a huge storyline right now. And then where these quarterbacks ended up, there, there's a, a huge quarterback storyline for Malik Willis here in Nashville. But beyond that, there's some other organizations that chose quarterback that are you know very interesting. For instance, uh, what we saw in, in uh, Washington and, and some other landing spots for these guys. So we'll compare what the Titans did to some other teams that decided to go young at quarterback but did it in the third round or later. Uh, like Atlanta with, with Desmond Ritter now backing up Marcus Mariota. We, a lot of teams that we thought, Dan, were going to pick quarterback within the first or second round ended up being very patient and ended up going quarterback in the third or fourth. And I'm, I'm intrigued to figure out Matt Corral in Carolina instead of Baker Mayfield. And speaking of Baker, we'll bring that up where we think he'll end up now that the draft is over. Where do you think he'll end up? I don't know. I mean, that, that that's the thing. Like, it doesn't seem like <laughs> Seattle doesn't seem like Seattle wants him. Uh, Carolina, uh, based on reports, uh, they they were talking with Cleveland, but they didn't like the compensation. Um, so they end up going with Matt Corral, who I don't know how much they really like either. It's it's all very confusing now. Houston is apparently in the mix. I mean, the, what the, the Browns are going to have to give give him away. I mean, it, they would have to like flip him for like a seventh round pick in the future, and pick up a huge chunk of his salary now. I don't know why they didn't move him over the weekend because that's when they had more leverage to get something in return that they can benefit from immediately. And now they they if they get anything in return, it's going to be something that they can't cash in until next year. It's it's a it's a bizarre situation. We know he's not going to be there. And you'd rather trade him than cut him because you can get something in return, even if you have to pick up a salary. It's it's strange. There, there's no reason the Browns need to keep him around much longer. Man, oh man, if I was him, I'd just show up every day. I would. Me too. I, just, I know that you know. I don't think they. I would. I mean, yeah. Hey, I show show the world show the world that you're ready to compete. You change the narrative on yourself because right now the narrative on him is that. Well, he's not good enough to be quarterback, and he's going to sit on a couch and complain and podcast. I mean, I, I, Jonathan, I swear to God, I'd show up and change the whole narrative on myself. I, I'd do whatever well, I think, could. Think about if man, I was him. This, this, I don't know. I'm going to jump. We'll jump into this. But Dan, I mean, he, four years ago, he's the number one overall pick, and it's not like he's yeah. some scrub player either. You know, like 
he 2020 he played really well and then last year he was okay and then in week two early in the season busts up his shoulder being dumb and trying to make a hit at quarterback after throwing a pick and it plays through a shoulder injury instead of bowing out and having the shoulder surgery he waits until the browns are out of playoff contention i don't it, it's whatever's going on behind the scenes teams know about that that they're not willing to invest in because teams hate again they hated this quarterback class in the draft but yet carolina who has been scrambling trying to find a guy would rather go with a quarterback in matt corral who fell to them late in this draft compared to Baker Mayfield, who at least there's a body of work that, you know, you can you rely on for a year or so. If Sam Darnold's not the guy it's, it's intriguing because I, I didn't view Baker Mayfield through the lens of the entire league. Right now, the league is putting him more with the class of quarterbacks that we just went through in the draft. than they are the free agent guys and the free agent guys would be Mitchell Trubisky, Jameis Winston and, and others. I agree. I mean, it's it's. There's always a backstory. I say it all the time. There's always a backstory, and there's a hell of a backstory here some way. Thank you, yes. my friend. Have a great show today. Thank you, Dan. Always great to be on with you, man. That's Jonathan Hutton. I'm telling you, Outkick 360 every day, man. Every day, it's great stuff. They talk football. Uh, you know what, Chad and Paul and Jonathan, they do a fantastic job, and it's always entertaining. There's never a reason. Not to go. All right, we come back. I have some sleepers for you that I have seen, I have liked, and you're going to say, damn, about midway through the NFL. I'm clipping this part of the show. You're going to say midway through the NFL season, that damn doc, it's not only is he incredibly handsome, but that dude knows football. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, welcome back. Um... You know, I understand I'm the world's most handsome man. I understand that I'm the basketball savant, but I got to tell you, football just might be my thing. I'm watching the draft and seeing who gets picked. Look, let's be honest. Not everybody's a sleeper. Sometimes you pick a guy and he's a hoper. You're hoping he helps you out. But I've got seven sleepers here that I think are going to have an impact, and I think a couple of them are going to have major, major impacts. First one, I've talked about this kid before, and David Bell, the wide receiver out of Purdue, was picked 99th, 99th, ladies and gentlemen, by the Cleveland Browns. Now, let's understand something. David Bell is a wide receiver, 90 catches. I mean, the dude goes up, and if it's me and you and I'm David Bell, he's getting it. You ain't. Every time. Every time. All I hear about David Bell is, ah, he's not that fast. Ah, he can't. Ah, really? All I know about David Bell, he'll get you, at least in college, 1,900 yards, 50, whatever it is. 90-some catches, he'll score touchdowns, he'll show up big in big games. Next thing you know, 98 players go, and the 99th player, third round, Browns, David Bell. Here's the problem Bell has, though. What's going to happen at quarterback with the Browns? Deshaun Watson, is he going to be there? I don't know. I do not know. Baker Mayfield, is he going to be there? I'm betting not. So who knows? And one of the things you do not need as a wide receiver in the NFL uh, 
is uncertainty at quarterback. But this kid, David Bell, is going to be a player that in the middle of next year's NFL season, people are saying, damn, wow, Andrew Barry's a genius. He found a real guy, not a guy, he found a real guy. It's easy to find a guy. Like once in a while you find a guy and you put him on a practice squad and he comes and he has a game. You know, there's a kid named Patman on, uh, on the Colts. He had a touchdown. That's fine. That's good. I hope he's better. hope he contributes next year because he's a nice kid, Patman. But this David Bell is going to be a real guy. And look, I don't know who starts. I don't understand it all. I'll, we'll see what happens with all that. But when David Bell is on your team and he is in that wide receiver room, he will be on the field for the majority of snaps, particularly when it really matters. I'm not saying game one because the Browns have shown themselves to be stupid. You trusting the Browns? I'm not trusting the Browns. I'm not trusting the Browns to be that smart and put David Bell on the field from the get-go. No, I'm not trusting them to do that. No. But eventually, what is the word? Water finds its level. Cream rises to the top. Whatever the heck analogy or saying you want to use, David Bell will be up in here catching passes in big moments for the Cleveland Browns. Make book on it. Clip this segment. Show your friends. Get your friends this information so they start watching the show. That's the number one sleeper. Number two. And I'm not necessarily going in order here, but hey, uh, you know, we just talked about Malik Willis. We got video on Malik Willis? Oh, no. Malik Willis. Malik, let's show a little Malik Willis. Malik Willis went and played. Here's a little Malik Willis. He's playing. He's playing high. You know, uh, he's dropping back. He's slinging it, going backwards. Hey, look, Malik Willis is going to compete after about week, I don't know, five. Because it feels like this isn't right, and I love Mike Vrabel, and I don't think Mike Vrabel is going to allow it to happen, but it feels like, does it not, that the Tennessee Titans are slowly dropping. You're the number one seed. You get rid of basically your second best offensive weapon which obviously is A.J. Brown. You got a quarterback that is out there fishing and hunting and whatever. See, here's the deal. You draft a wide receiver and you're Peyton Manning or you're Tom Brady. Before the wide receiver goes to his press conference, guess what happens? That guy, that quarterback, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, already in Peyton Manning's case, has him out here on Zionsville's football field running trees, learning, six in the morning before you press. Hey, look, we're going to run. We're going to throw. You're going to run our little route tree. I'm going to teach you the whole deal. And guess what? Then you go take a shower. Then you go do your thing. Then you go and have a wonderful press conference and everybody's toes are tapping. Well, as Jonathan Hutton just said, where the hell is Ryan Tannehill? Where is he? 
He ain't, he ain't welcoming Burks a new wide receiver. He's out there fishing, hunting, sexing. I don't know what he's doing. That's not how guys that are trying to win championships conduct their business. That's not how Manning, that's not how Brady, and if Brady and Manning didn't do it that way, then Ryan T- or did it that way, then Ryan Tannehill should do it that way. It's what I've always said about Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was never on the trajectory of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady because he didn't have it all consuming in his life like those guys did. Don't at me about it. This kid Malik Willis, because of what I just said about Tannehill, is going to get an opportunity, maybe not this year, but within the next two. Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods is a tight end. Rarely do you come in at pick number 73 and have a chance to immediately start and immediately impact. Colts lost Jack Doyle. Jack is like the Swiss Army knife. He does everything. He blocked. He tackled. He, hell, interception he tackled. He scored a few touchdowns. Third down, possession. But you know what he wasn't? He wasn't down the field. He was not down the field. Colts did not have a down-the-field tight end. Mo Alley-Cox, great story. VCU football player. I just lied to you. VCU basketball player. Played for Shocker Smart. All that. Great story. Practice team. Practice squad. Became a player. Has had a few catches. Kyle Granson, drafted last year. All right, okay. Okay, had a few moments. But this kid here... This kid here has the rare opportunity to come into a high-profile NFL team with a high-profile quarterback at a high-profile position and start. Not, not, no, no. I didn't say play. I said start. I said, hey, run out there. Do your silly dance. And beyond the field, win the offense, first time in a game, takes the snap. You don't get that very often. You really don't. Usually a team is pretty set at least, you know, and you got to play behind a guy and you, you're the guy that everybody seems to have potential. This kid here, Woods, has the real opportunity because he can get down the field. Athletic is all get out. And that's exactly what the Colts are missing. At that position. They got big, strong guys. Everybody got big, strong guys. They got guys who will block. Uh, Mo Alley Cox will catch a ball once in a while, but if he's got to really adjust, he can't. Fine. Granson, we don't know. Show, nah. This kid here has that opportunity. Now, how he comes in, I don't know. I do not know. Don't at me about it, because I don't know the backstory. He seems like a great kid. He seems like a really smart kid. But who the heck knows when you get into camp, but the opportunity for this kid is there. Think about him on your fantasy team. Uh, I'm not sure this is really a sleeper, but John Mechie III is my guy. Yeah, he's my guy. John Mechie got hurt. John Mechie plays for Alabama. John Mechie is a football player. He looks a lot slighter than he actually is. I love this kid. This kid goes and makes plays. Now, you say to me, Dan, he was a 44th pick. I mean, is that really 
a sleeper? Eh, I don't know. But he's going to a bad franchise. He's going to a franchise with Davis Mills as the quarterback, or Mills Davis, whatever one. He's coming off knee injury. I think the kid's terrific. I've said this many times on the show. I sat in about the eighth row for the Tennessee-Alabama game. I watched John Mechie play. And of all the players, and there obviously are a ton of players in that game, that dude right there stood out to me like, whoa, whoa. Now, I know he got hurt. I get it. I do. I promise you, I get it. But that dude is going to make, assuming he stays healthy, the Texans a much better team. And when you've got a quarterback that you kind of like, they like Davis Mills. They don't dislike Davis Mills. They had a chance to get rid of Davis Mills. Hell, they still have a chance to get rid of Davis Mills and bring in Baker Mayfield. That's one team we really didn't talk about when I was just talking to Jonathan Hutt. But that guy, if he's healthy, that guy's going to make whoever quarterbacks the Texans a better, a better football player and a better quarterback. That guy is one of those guys that can make the Texans a better football team. Love him. I don't like him. I love him. The Giants took a kid named Micah McFadden. Micah McFadden is the 146th player drafted in this year's NFL draft. You see the Hoosiers on here? That's my school. The Indiana Hoosiers. Now, Micah McFadden comes from a long line of guys at Indiana that played linebacker, that made a lot of tackles, that never made it in the NFL. We had a kid going way, way back named Van Waiters. Van was a bad dude, man. Van used to play basketball with us. He graduated a few years after me. But Van was a bad dude. Great guy, by the way. Great guy, but a hell of a football player. He ended up having a nice career in the NFL. Indiana has always had this scrappy linebacker. The Rapogel brothers or whatever they were. I don't even know. But this guy here, Micah McFadden, he's a different cat. Micah McFadden is one tough SOB. Micah McFadden's the kind of guy that all of a sudden he's on the field. The Colts have a guy like this. His name is Zaire Franklin. When Zaire Franklin was drafted out of Syracuse, I had his coach, Dino Babers, on. And he's like, look, I don't care if Zaire Franklin is a seventh-round pick. Zaire Franklin's going to make the team. He'll make it as a special teams guy. And then, eventually, he's going to play because he's that kind of good, that kind of character, that kind of tough, that kind of worker, that kind of leader. That's what I feel about this kid here, Micah McFadden, for you Giants fans. Hey, look, I don't know what's going to ultimately happen. We don't know. But I'm telling you right now, if all of a sudden this kid is on the field for the Giants, don't be surprised. He's one of those guys that is very athletic, much more athletic than people give him credit for, seems to always find the right hole to dig through to make a play, and ain't afraid to hit you, and ain't afraid to hit you in the mouth, and hit you in the mouth hard, really hard. I'm a big fan of this kid. I think this kid's got a chance to play some pretty good football for the Giants. 
Is he Lawrence Taylor or Carl Banks? Oh, hell no. But he's going to be some. I don't know if it's going to be special team. I don't know. But I'll be shocked if you read the transaction and this kid is cut. Not saying he's not going to start out on the practice squad. Not saying that at all. He may. But there will be a time over the next couple of years where this guy has impact, even though he was the 146th pick of the NFL draft. All right, let's move it forward. Speaking of tight ends, so I'm watching UCLA play. It's one of those late games, right? It's one of those late games, and I bet on it. And I, you know, what do we got to do? What do I got to do? Saturday night, baby. I've already gone to the disco, you know. So I'm out here, and I'm watching some foots. And this kid shows up, Greg Dulcich, tight end. And I'm watching. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. The fact that his name ends in ICH means he's a bad mother. But I'm watching this kid, and I'm seeing him play, and I see somebody that's just a little different, a lot like what I said about John Mechie. This kid can get down the field. This kid isn't afraid when he gets the football to make a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Got a little wiggle to him. This kid was a walk-on. This kid has busted it pretty hard. This kid went from like two catches to eight catches to this past year, became a focal point. And he's athletic and seems to be able to get from the line of scrimmage down 15 yards in a hurry. I liked him. I was actually hoping that the Colts would draft him over Jelani Woods or McBride or any of the tight ends that were available. Greg Dulcich, as everybody that listens to my show in Indianapolis, you know he was one of my favorites. But he goes to the Broncos. And I got to tell you, this is a starter from day one as well. I got to believe, unless something crazy happens, uh, this guy is one of those guys that's going to show up in camp and because he's used to being a walk-on, because he's not Hollywood, because he's not the California surfer boy that was the great athlete and everybody just gave him what he wanted, he had to work for it. Disappointing year, two years, didn't get on the field as much. Now, woo, that means he's worked. That means he's worked hard. That means he's a dude. That means I like him. I like him a lot. Hey, is he going to be all pro as a rookie? There's pretty good tight ends across the world. But don't be surprised as this kid gets bigger and stronger that he doesn't make a big-time impact for the Broncos. Now, I put a caveat on all of these guys, okay? I put a caveat because my caveat is injury. How many times do we see dudes get injured? Holy cow. I mean, all we see is guys get injured. And I, hey, look, you get injured, uh, don't at me, people. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to hear it. I got nothing to say about injuries. Not a damn thing. I can't do nothing about it. But what I can do is tell you point blank, uh, these dudes can play. All right. You probably never heard of this guy. You probably never heard of Xander Horvath, all right? Xander Horvath 
is from Mishawaka, Indiana. Xander Horvath is a fullback. Think Mike Allstott light. He's six foot three. He's 240 pounds. He is one of those guys that he got hurt. Now, nobody uses a fullback until, guess what? They need to use a fullback. He averaged five yards a carry for Purdue. He did get hurt. I ain't mad about it. But this kid was drafted in the last round, the 260th player picked. Now, if you're going to say to me, you could get this guy, Xander Horvath, in the last round, I'd say that's a great pick. Give me. I mean, he was a walk-on, had no major offers. He went into the weight room and became a big strong, crazy dude. Here's what he did. Let me read this to you. His his freshman year, redshirt freshman, he rushed for 42 yards on nine carries. He became, over the next two years, the closest thing Purdue had to a featured back. (laughs) Look, he had a broken leg early in the season. He ran for over 1,000 yards at Purdue, seven touchdowns, but here's the thing. He also caught 62 balls. Now, I don't know if he's going to be a tight end eventually, an H-back. He's a special teams guy as well. But this guy here is going to be an NFL football player of some kind of liking. You're going to know his name. The 260th pick, I guess it's a throwaway. I guess you're just looking for someone, but I'm telling you right now, watching this kid play, if he's recovered from his injury, this kid will, again, he will have impact. I'm not saying he's going to be Taysom Hill. I'm not saying that. I'm saying impact. Maybe an H-back. Maybe a short yardage fullback as a special teams guy. Maybe a tight end. I don't know. Maybe he's a Swiss Army knife. But he ain't getting cut. And if he gets cut, he's getting picked up. He will put some tape out there at some position in the preseason that's going to make people go, huh. Let's take a look at this guy. I promise you, that's the kind of player this kid is. Great pedigree. Again, what do we got? Like Dulcich, here's a walk-on kid. You know, like Willis. Willis sees that, okay, Maybe Bo Nix is the quarterback forever at Auburn. I'm going to go take a swing over here, and next thing you know, it works out pretty damn well. David Bell was a highly recruited kid. David Bell was a kid that everybody in the country wanted, and they should have. He chose to go to Purdue. You mark my words. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to like my own post when I post my seven sleepers, and I'm telling you, They're going to have impact. I'm not like the biggest Indiana fan where I got to take an Indiana guy, or I'm not obviously going to Indiana. I'm not a Purdue hater guy, obviously. I pick Purdue kids to be sleepers. I just like watching football players, looking at the opportunity, studying a little bit of a backstory, and seeing what the hell we got. I don't know. That just kind of makes sense to me. Guys are walk-ons. Next thing you know, they're drafted. You can pretty much bet on them 
to at least print a pretty, 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 pretty good showing, at least in camp, for an NFL team. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, I don't know, again, does anybody use fullbacks? Colts have always brought in a fullback. I don't know that they've ever been in love with a fullback. But, man, I'm telling you, that kid Horvath, you see him, you think he's Mike Olsta. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I got some I ain't mad about it. And one of the I ain't mad abouts is going to blank you off because you're going to say I'm wrong. I ain't mad about that either. I ain't mad even a little bit about that. When we come back, I ain't mad about it. Not even a little. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back. One guy that we forgot, I actually put it down, but but, uh, we all forgot, was Kyron Williams, the running back out of Notre Dame, is my sleeper. I love that kid. You know, I know there were a lot of questions about it. I don't know. All I saw him was run away from teams. I just <laughs> did. When he was with Notre Dame, he just ran away from everybody. It's pretty good. He went 164 to the Rams. What a perfect team to go to. Rams, Cam Akers, pretty good running back. They could use a little help. He's there. I think Kyron Williams, the kid from Notre Dame, excuse me, is going to have impact. I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if you saw this at all, but this is truly amazing, and I ain't mad about it. We do a segment called I Ain't Mad About It, and I Ain't Mad About It is because when I suspended a kid named Jamarcus Ellis when I was a head coach at Indiana, he looked at me and he goes, Coach, I ain't mad about it. And I said, well, I am mad about it. Sit your ass at home when we went to Penn State. Could have used him, too. So in my family, anytime something comes up, we always go, I ain't mad about it. Well, I ain't mad about this. I ain't mad about Ben Joyce, Ben Joyce, University of Tennessee, threw a baseball 105.5 miles an hour. I want you to think about this. In the history of throwing a baseball, that's the second fastest a ball has ever been thrown. Second. Now, I'm looking this up because I thought I had it, but I... I think it was 5.7 miles an hour is what a uh, 105.7 miles an hour is what Aroldis Chapman threw. Like when Ben Joyce threw this, it actually he had the opposing team on the top of their dugout watching this dude throw. Now, according to 105.8, Chapman, thank you, Dylan. Yeah, the second fastest ball ever thrown. Just think about that for a second. How many big leaguers have come up? Nolan Ryan, I mean, forever, all these guys. And here's this kid who is currently throwing for the University of Tennessee, dropping a hundred. And five. Now, the pitching ninja put this out. If you're wondering if he can quote throw strikes, uh, yeah, 6.33 strikeout to walk ratio, 0.71 whip, which is hits 
uh, hits, walks, hits per inning. Less than one. I'm surprised it's even that high. I got to tell you, I played college baseball. I played against a guy named John Lester. Not that John, Leister. He was a quarterback at Michigan State. And he threw it around 95, and he was like the hardest thrower in the Big Ten. I remember standing up against him like, holy hell, I think I got a hit. But I think I closed my eyes, the ball hit the bat, and it went over the second baseman's head. I think. I also think he struck me out and made me look like a damn foo. But that's 10 miles an hour less. It would be hard to see 105-mile-an-hour fastball. I was in Wrigley in 2016 when Chapman was bringing it for the Cubs at 100, 101, 102. And when Aroldis Chapman threw it, you always looked up at the scoreboard to see how hard he threw it. I'd do it anyway, but I, can you imagine sitting there with 105.5? I mean, it's like a freaking, man. And here are these college kids. They just thought, hell, Auburn player thought, ah, we're coming out here to play a baseball game. We know Tennessee's really good. They got the coach that lost his mind. They got a great team. Uh, blah, 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 blah. They're number one in the country. So, damn. I'll take them on the Cubs right now. Why, why are we even messing around? Bring it to 105. Uh, I ain't mad about this. I am not mad at Doc Rivers leaving Joel Embiid in the game in the last four minutes of a game that people think was a rout. I'll tell you something about coaching. And I understand people saying you should have had him out. Why is he in? Well, that's what Doc Rivers does. Number one, he leaves guys in the game to about four minutes, five, three minutes, two minutes. Here's the other thing. All it's got to do is happen to you one time. We lost a game at Indiana. We were up eight with 52 seconds to go, and we didn't miss a free throw. I was down 13 once at Bowling Green with a minute 13 to go. We came back, took a one-point lead with about two seconds to go. Kid hit a three-quarter court shot to beat us. Think about that. Down 13 with a minute 14 or whatever it was to go. It was either we were down 14 with a minute 13. No, we were down 13 with a minute 14. Came back and took the lead. We were up 28 on the road at Buffalo when we were 26th in the country, and Buffalo was just transitioning to Division I, and they were one of the five worst teams in the country. We were 26th in the country, first team at Bowling Green underneath the top 25, also receiving votes. TV timeout, under eight minutes. I'm telling you, you guys got to keep playing. You know what we had to do? We had to make two free throws to win the damn game. We were up three. We had to make two free throws to make it five with about 20 seconds to go before we could feel comfortable. All that's got to happen to you is once in your coaching career and you're leaving guys out there. It's unfortunate what happened. Siakam went to the rim. Next thing you know, concussion. He does not have to have surgery, Embiid, on his orbital bone, which is good news. But, hey, look, man, all people that never coach will say, what, well, a game was in the bag. Yeah, all right. But all it's got to do is happen to you once. Now, you could go the other way, too, and say all it's got to do is happen to you once where your best player gets a – Broken face, I get that too. I do. I totally understand that. But still, I ain't mad about it. I am not mad even a little bit about keeping your player in the game because you want to make damn sure you don't lose the game. 
particularly in the playoffs. Now, I am mad about it because I have a bet for $100 that wins me about 2000 I don't know, 100 that the Golden State Warriors come out of the West and out of the East come the 76ers, and they're playing the most together team in the league, which is the Miami Heat. James Harden, baby. James Harden, where are you at? Where are you at, James Harden? We need a triple-double. We need 40 and 15 assists, and maybe you can go down there and steal one. By the way, Embiid will not be playing tonight, and he will not be playing Wednesday. He's not even traveling with them tonight. They hope to have him ready for games three and four, and then obviously five if necessary, and on and on and on and on and on. But I ain't mad about you. I am not mad about you, Doc Rivers. You do you. I'm not mad at John Rahm winning the Mexican Open. I'll tell you why I'm not mad about John Rahm winning the Mexican Open. I like stars. I want more stars in every sport. I want Mike Trout traded to the New York Yankees, the Chicago Cubs, the Boston Red Sox. I want him in the East so I can watch him. Everybody tells me Mike Trout's greatest baseball player alive, Otani's greatest baseball player alive. I need him on the East Coast so I can watch him. But John Rahm is the best golfer in the world. And unlike Tiger Woods, who won like, I don't know, won in it four times that he played, which is so remarkable, you can't even fathom it because how good players are on the tour is and how hard it is to win, John Rahm needs to win more. Here's also why. John Rahm will cuss at you. He's a fiery Spaniard, they call him. He's got the temper. Ah, he starts swearing in Spanish and it's fast and it goes, whoa, that's pretty good. I like John Rahm. In golf, here's what they say. In golf, they say a guy like John Rahm runs hot. He's running hot. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, I like it. Never got into Davis Love III, if you remember him. I watched Davis Love III at the PGA in 91, the one that John Daly won. My brother and I are standing on one of the greens. Knight, Coach Knight gave us these all-access passes. We'd go anywhere. Davis Love III was like stoic. I can't get with stoic. I like when dudes are running hot. John Rahm winning, I ain't mad about, I'll never be mad about, and I'll continue to be very happy about because it gives the chance. I don't know if he's going to be. It gives the chance for a star and a star that's got maybe a little personality. All right, can we just end this? I don't know what's so difficult, and I mentioned this early in the show. Can we just all agree that the best basketball player in the world, if you're going to say the best basketball is played in the NBA, the best basketball players are in the NBA, Thereby, the best player in the NBA is the best player in the world. Can we say that? Like, I haven't been to the Red Belgrade game, so I don't, maybe there's a dude there that's really good, but I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the best players across the country, certainly the best players in the NBA. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, there ain't nobody, I'm not going to say not even close, but the Greek freak, Giannis, is the best player, the most dominant player. Look, do I want Steph Curry on my team? Oh, hell yeah. 
I'll take Steph Curry on my team and say, and, and you can have Giannis and I'll be okay with that. Steph Curry's going to hit a ton of shots. Steph Curry, as you saw yesterday, is going to get down and guard. Steph Curry's all about winning. Hell yeah, I'll take Steph Curry. Do I want LeBron? Yeah, LeBron takes teams to the finals more times than not. Now, there's some guys I don't want to touch. You can have James Harden today, tomorrow, the next day. I mean, you can have him. I don't, you know. I mean, there's good players. DeMar DeRozan for a while was considered an MVP candidate, but let's be serious here. You know, Devin Booker knocking in some shots. Aiden pretty good. Uh, Chris Paul's a really good point guard, great leader. But is there anybody really comparable? You know, I'd say Joel Embiid, but I don't think Joel Embiid has the same kind of determination and toughness that Giannis does. Giannis is the hardest guy to stop in the league. I said it earlier. The way to play him is to play off him. All right, fine. But then when I watch guys play off him, he's got the ball at the top of the key. He just drives into him, shoots, misses, gets it back, dunks. Or shoots and makes. Man, he's the hardest guy. And, and look, we can make up other guys. We can say other guys are just as good, if not better. We can say Kevin Durant is. That's fine. Kevin Durant's a jump shooter. Kevin Durant's terrific. He's terrific. I mean, just because you say a guy is the best player in the world or the best player in the NBA doesn't mean the other guys stink. I mean, it doesn't mean the other guys are less. They just aren't as good as that guy. That guy's incredible. What did he do? 24, 13, and 12 yesterday. They're playing without his, what do they call him, his Robin? He's Batman Giannis. Middleton's his Robin. And guess what? They just went into the Celtics and bow, 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 knocked the living you-know-what out of them and game over. I mean, hey, look, for years I'd have told you that LeBron was the best player. I know a lot of people want to have Durant, but not, not me, no. Maybe Jason Tatum is in two years, but he's not right now. Guy's the best player in the world. Don't at me about it either. I don't care if he goes for 16, throws five balls away. I don't care. It's going to happen once in a while, but that dude, whoo. You get a chance. If you don't like the NBA, I'm cool with that. I get it. That's fine. But if you get a chance, watch this guy play basketball. It's fun to watch because it's different. It's not like he's a great shooter. He's not out there shooting jump shots. He'll go to the glass. He'll run the floor. If he gets it around the rim, he dunks it from like eight feet out. I don't know. <sighs> Can I tell you something? I'm tired of pitchers. I, you know, in, 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 in the world that we live in, we have a wussified society, right? Everybody's whining. Everybody's crying. You offended me. You know, whatever. And I don't think anybody exemplifies that more than pitchers. It all goes back to uh, Clayton Kershaw bowing out of a perfect game about a month ago. I think it goes back to that. But now these clowns, they can't even go six innings. These clowns have no competitive heart, no competitive spirit. They got nothing. Yeah, they're uber talented. Yeah, they throw it really hard. But my God, who plays sports and wants to watch the end of the game. Now, I want you to think about that. Who plays sports and wants to watch somebody else finish the game for you? I remember I was 10 years old. We were playing in the Little League Championship, Junedale Little League, and it was one of those places where everybody came out, all the little girls and boys and moms and dads and aunts. I mean, the place was packed. We had a beautiful Little League in Gary, Indiana. And they draped over the, the, 
you know, the American flags or whatever, and it was gorgeous. And because of the rules, you had to win two out of three. I had a pitch as a 10-year-old. It was 10 to 12. I had a pitch as a 10-year-old. Just get me through two innings before Davy Jones came in. Davy was our star, not the singer. Davy was our star. And I was blanked off. Like, what? I want to finish this. I pitched two innings. Carl Allegretti, whose son Nick now plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. Carl hit a ball over center field, over the scoreboard. You know how when you get older, over the light pole, into the creek. I mean, I think it's still going. But we were up two to one, and I wanted to stay in. And Steve Homner, the manager, said, what, are you crazy? We got a 12-year-old here. Sit your... How do you possibly not want to finish what you start? How do you possibly beg out? You know, we make fun or we get mad at NBA players because we all think they're money-grubbing guys. And we talk about college coaches as these money-grubbing guys. There's nobody more money-grubbing than Major League Baseball starting pitchers. These guys are the biggest wusses in the world. Like, uh, Tim Kirchner wrote a great book about how he loves to sacrifice fly, and he kind of details the toughness of Major League Baseball players, and he's right, except for pitchers. They think like, oh my God, if I went six innings, if I threw 100 pitches, I've done something. What a bunch of little batches. Serious business. I've had enough of them. I, they're ruining baseball for me. You know, as a kid, you I, went, I remember seeing Mark the Bird Fidger. It's 1976, August 17th, my birthday. My dad, we stopped, we got tickets, we went, we ended up, I don't know how we got great seats, but we got great seats. 52,000 people, this dude throws a one-hitter, Bruce Kim hits a home run. Now you go to a game and some slap with big old thighs who walks like he's got a stick up his backside with a dumbass goatee, can't go six innings. Well, you know... It's a quality start. Why don't you want to finish anything? I can't stand it. I can't stand it. They exemplify everything that's wrong with our society and sports. The wussification of the starting pitcher is the perfect sports analogy for how freaking soft we've got in this world. They all walk the same. They walk like little... I can't say it because you can't monetize if I swear, but they're the softest, lamest, most ridiculous group out there. I think I hate them. I do. I used to love them. Did. One, Marichelle, his kick was up to here. Tom Seaver's knee was touching the ground. Fergie Jenkins was cool as the other side of the pill. I always wanted to be Fergie Jenkins. J.R. Richard in those uniforms, throwing it 172 miles an hour. Greg Maddox throwing it here, darting it over here. Vita Blue, to this day, when Vita Blue came up, we were at Comiskey Park. Uh, The bullpen was in center field. There's nobody in the park. You could hear the pop of Vita Blue, man. These guys. Well, you know, I can't finish a perfect game. What? Hate them. Can't stand him. My man Tim Belcher, good friend of mine, that dude went out and gave you innings. I remember we were at a game. He got us uh, Lou Pinella's seats. We were all uh, across the river at a Friday's drinking martinis. We opened up the tickets that Belch got us in Cincinnati. He goes, hey, idiots, I know you've been here since three. 
Don't get thrown out. These are Pinellas seats. Belcher takes one off the back. Yeah, he did. Right off the back. Kept pitching. I go into the clubhouse. I go, Belch, how you doing, man? He goes, look at this thing. He didn't care. Now these clowns with their big-ass thighs and stupid-looking goatees. Soft. I hate them. I don't hate, but you know what I'm saying. It's unbelievable. And to that point, the Mets combined for a freaking no-hitter. The Mets combined for a no-hitter and no one cared. Why? Because it was like 12 dudes that threw the no-hitter. I'm going to go through this. I wrote this down. It's unbelievable, these guys. Like, uh, I got a no-hitter, but, but you know, uh, uh, my, my arm hurts, and, and I, I can't really throw uh, uh, because, you know, McGill, Smith, Rodriguez, Lugo, Diaz. One, two, three, five guys throw a no-hitter. <laughs> what the hell? That's why people don't love baseball. Look, don't tell me baseball's dead. They're giving big money. You go to Wrigley, there's 40,000 people in the building on a Tuesday. Stop with all that. And every little part of the park has an advertiser on it. Next time you watch a game at Wrigley Field, the Ivy's beautiful when it comes in in the outfield, but every door has an advertiser. You can't take a dump without the wall inside the freaking stall having some advertisement on it. But I'm telling you, it's hard to walk. Five guys throwing a no-hitter and nobody cared. Nobody. I don't say this often. I don't say this often. But I'm jealous of Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson did something that we should all do. Tucker Carlson mocked. I don't know if we have the picture of it, but he mocked the New York. There it is. There's a hit piece on Tucker Carlson. And instead of whining about it, which is what I do whenever I get a hit piece, he just laughs at him. That's how you're supposed to handle it. In fact, I'm going and getting all the hit pieces that my little friends at the Indy Star have done on me. My only problem is I don't buy their paper. And I'm holding it up. Good for Tucker Carlson. I mean, let's be honest. The level of honesty in that piece is probably level one out of ten. Ten being the most, one being the least. It's impossible for these clowns to have any kind of honesty in an article because of how biased they are. So Tucker Carlson, instead of whining about it, which is all I do and i got to stop it, he embraced it. He held it up. He showed the world, hey, look, they're mad at me. Yeah. They're mad. Wah! Danny Walken was mad at me. Danny Walken wrote for the USA Today. Oh, man, Dockage is a bully. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Here it is. I'm doing a Tucker Carlson. ESPN has looked past Dockage's bullying for years. Yeah. Bullying's when you pick on somebody. Responding. There it is. Yeah, they have. Yeah, I'm a bully. Bullying is not when someone picks on you and you respond. 
But that's what I should have done, and I'm going to continue to do that. There'll be another article on me. Uh, my, my, uh, I have like, it's like every six months the Indy Star realizes that they're selling their newspaper for like 99 cents for a six-year subscription and that nobody pays attention to it. So every about six months, they got to come out and they got to get after me. This is my response to Dan Wolken's bullying. Manipulation is when they blame you for your reaction to their disrespect. It's exactly right. Bullying is when you say, hey, I'm going to go pick on somebody. That ain't, no. When somebody comes at you, says you should be burning in hell, and you go back at them, that ain't bullying. That's responding. And then they manipulated me. Good for Tucker Carlson. Hell yes. Hey, Indy Star, write another hit piece on me. Greggy Doyle's about ready to. I'll hold it up. I'll wear it like a badge. Yeah. (laughs) It's awesome. Uh, Tonight's a tough night if we're going to bet, but I'm going to give you one. Nah, I may give you two. Tonight, don't be afraid to take the Heat 76ers over 208. If the 76ers are going to play in this game, I don't think they can make it a defensive game. Now, both teams are, I don't know, defensively. The Heat will score. I think somebody's going to get to 120. And then on the other side, I'm not sure why I want to do this, but I'm going to take the Mavs. I'm going to take the Mavs, and I'm going to take five and a half. I don't know about that one. Five and a half ain't bad. The Mavs are pretty good. I don't know. I don't know. But I do like this heat. The heat over 208. 208's not a lot. Now, sometimes in these playoff games, sometimes in these playoff games, the first game, because everybody's preparing, everybody's going about the business of, uh, you know, we, we know what they're going to do. They know what we're going to do. All that happy horse bleep. Sometimes the first game goes under just because of that. And I understand it. I do. But I got a feeling in the second game, I think the Mavs are going to hang around a little bit, maybe be up at halftime. So I'm going to take both of those tonight and see what the heck happens. Hey, look, I'm due one. Klay Thompson, 85% career shooter, been in every big pressure situation ever in the NBA, and he's going to drop two free throw bricks. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Hey, I want to thank everyone that's been on the YouTube chat. I want to thank Dylan and Ryan and Davey and everyone that gets this show on the road. We're going to be back at it tomorrow. Tomorrow we got a special treat for you. Tomorrow the author, John Gordon, is going to join us at 10 o'clock. I'm really looking forward to that. I like John Gordon. John Gordon's got a new book out. But if you know anything about John Gordon, he is like a guru to professional and college sports teams. I mean, when John Gordon comes in to talk to your team, man, you usually do pretty well. So we're going to talk to John Gordon tomorrow. We're also going to recap what happens tonight in the NFL. We'll do some politics. We'll have a good time. Tell your friends about our show. we got to build this up because I think our show's getting pretty good. We're adding more and more stuff to it. So don't at me, people. Oh, you can't at me. And don't forget, check out our show on 1075 The Fan 
or wherever you stream stuff. You know, Spotify, 107.5 The Fan, Apple. You go to our website, 107.5 The Fan. I'll be on from noon to 3. 3 o'clock, keep it right here. We got Outkick 360. Have a wonderful afternoon, Davey and Dylan and Ryan. Thank you. Dockage out.